I'm glad that Bree picked this verse. It's fun because Bree Bree started today with this, and uh, this is our this would be my Christmas verse of the day. So, just reading it together, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling upon us. I want to put an emphasis on the Word. Remember that title as we talk today. This is John talking about the coming of Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. So if you want to jump back to my presentation. Today we're going to talk about the Trinity a little bit. We haven't done any teaching on the Trinity in a long time, so I thought we'd touch on it. But today is the Trinity Christmas edition. So um, the subtitle will be, and you'll understand why, Commander of Angel Armies to Diapers, as we talk about Jesus and what he did for us. Um, Why is the Trinity important? The concept of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is an established pillar of the Christian faith. Um, An understanding of the Trinity affects how you relate to God, Um, how you see Jesus, how you interact with Holy Spirit. Understanding the Trinity impacts how you relate to God. Can be a very confusing at times. One does not need to. One doesn't find the phrase explicitly in the Bible. There is, however, a continuum of Trinitarian thought throughout the entire Bible. And today, I'd like to wade into the beginning of this theology a little bit. And uh, one of the criticisms a lot of people bring up about the deity of Christ and the concept of Trinity is they try to say that it doesn't really exist in the Old Testament. And that Jesus is just born, and then we have Jesus, and then we claim that he's God. That's one of the the criticisms of Christianity. But uh, those that look at their scriptures would know that that's not true. And so we're going to dive into that today, specifically looking at pre-human Jesus, because he's all over over in the Old Testament. We're not going to get very far. We're only going to get through like the first six books of the, the Old Testament looking at Jesus. But there's enough just right there. It's the Sunday before Christmas, so I need to make another Christmas connection. Um, So let's talk about Slap slap Happy Santa. So Santa Claus is based on St. Nicholas, who lived nearly 2,000 years ago. Um, He is the patron saint of kids. He was known to be one who actually promoted children and teaching children. He was very uh, historically involved with teaching children the right things about God in the Bible, which he helped put together the Bible. Um, But there is a legend that Mr. St. Nicholas was at the first council of Nicaea, and there was a guy named Arian there, and Arian was not a Trinitarian, which is why I also bring this up today, because we're going to talk about the Trinity. He was not a Trinitarian, And they were debating the concept of the Trinity, and it was getting so fierce that Mr. Santa Claus himself reached over, supposedly, and slapped Arian across the face at the Council of Nicaea, and he was drug off to jail. And, of course, this is, you know, it's 2,000 years ago. We don't know. We don't know. But supposedly they, they, they drag him off to jail to teach him a lesson that you can't do that in the council. Um, but he, Santa Claus slapping heretics. That's just what he was doing. And uh, he goes to jail, and it says 
that Jesus showed up to him and told him basically, hey, you're okay. I know what you did. You did out of love. So think about that next time someone's being heretical. Maybe you need to slap them. And maybe Jesus will visit you later that night. Um, So here's the real question then. Is Santa Claus going to bring you presents if you don't hold Trinitarian beliefs? So keep that in mind as we go through today. Identification statements. Um, CCF, we believe that the Father, Yahweh, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons, and that each person is fully God, and that there is only one God. So that is the Trinity in a nutshell. And so where we're going to go is we're just going to look at some early scripture here in the New Testament just to reinforce why we believe this out of the New Testament. And then we're going to do a deeper dive in the Old Testament to see Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, just going to run through some verses talking about the Godhood of each of the distinct persons. Um, these are just random. There's much more than this. This is just a quick sampling to get us through. So don't think that like everything rests on these three verses because that's not true. Uh, Philippians 1-2, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Tells us quite frankly there that the Father is God. Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Referencing the Son as God. And then this one is fun because it's kind of in context. Acts 5.3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? This is after Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a bunch of land and they didn't give what they said they were going to give to the church. And... Uh, Peter's calling him out, and he said, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your, your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have, lied to, you have not lied to man, but to God. Now, earlier in that verse, he said he lied to the Holy Spirit. So just the, the juxtaposition there that the Holy Spirit is God. And there's more. Those are just three that are easily picked. There are people that try to, they promote this thing called oneness theology, which is not Trinitarian belief. And it's the line of thinking that basically breaks down God. Uh, It breaks down that God is one, but he changes forms depending on what he's doing. So that there's not three, it's one, and he just transforms into today God's Holy Spirit. Tomorrow he might interrupt and do something as Jesus, then pop back as the Father. Um, And I kind of find this ridiculous based on reading the New Testament just for what it says. And so we're going to look at a couple verses here that have all three persons in the same scene. So we can see that this is is kind of strange. Uh, John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So you have Jesus talking. You have Jesus talking about the Helper, the Holy Spirit who's going to come and help, and then the Father is sending him. So there you got all three in that scene. Acts 2.33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and this is, I believe this is Peter talking um, to the Jews, therefore exalted at the right hand of God, talking about Jesus, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Peter is talking about the fact that now you have the Father, you have Jesus sitting next to him, and you have him pouring out the Holy Spirit on earth. So again, the place where you see all three. Um, 
So there they're talking about all three, and then there are actually scenes in the Bible where all three are present at the same time, in the same action scene, if you will. So we'll look at Mark 1.10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And this is talking about the baptism of Jesus. So he's coming up out of the water. Um, and immediately he saw the, the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So you have Jesus coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So you have all three persons in one scene at the same time. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And again, understand that the word is a title, and we're going to talk about that later. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So they're talking about the word as a title, a person being with God, creating with God all that there is. So we'll talk more about this word figure. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we would get the verse that we read shortly after what we just read as our Christmas verse. And then we get to 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. It's an interesting verse. No one has ever seen God. It is my opinion that they're talking about seeing the Father. The only God, talking about Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made them known because we have seen Jesus. We are allowed to see Jesus. And now as we get into the Old Testament, you'll see how the Old Testament is very consistent with this. Um, Another active verse together. This is Jesus talking. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, talking about Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The verse is just full of Trinity there all in participation. This can go on. Uh, the Old Testament's full of this, all over. Um, what's harder to see at times is looking at the criticism that the Old Testament doesn't have the Trinity in it. Um, all three persons do exist in the, the Old Testament, um, and some are under names that we may not recognize. And because it's the season, I want to focus today on pre-baby Jesus. Um, so... I just want to clear here that when we look at Jesus in the Old Testament, Jesus is not human. He's, I'm telling, spoiler alert, he shows up on earth, but he's not human. Understand that he is still Elohim, he is a spirit being, but he does show up physically on the earth. He doesn't become human until one, the event that we celebrate as Christmas. So I just want to put that out there because once you start getting into that water, it can get gross. So let's start with Stephen and Acts. Stephen is going to talk about this a little bit as he's getting stoned uh, with rocks, not pharmaceutical goods. Uh, Brothers and fathers, hear me. 
the God of glory, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. The God of glory, keep that in mind, appeared to the father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he went out of the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Stephen is referencing Genesis 12. And now the Lord, and when it says the Lord, it actually means Yahweh. And now Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So just emphasizing at the point there at the front, the Lord said to Abraham, now it was this an inaudible voice. Was this in person? This point, we don't know. Verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, Sarai, his wife and Lot, his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Moses passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram again and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So these are the first instances of the Lord appearing to Abram. And I believe that this is indirect, according to Stephen, the God of glory, this is, this is God appearing to Jesus or appearing to Abraham. And I believe that it is Jesus. Um, and after these things, the word of the Lord, this is a little bit further. And after these things, the word of the Lord, remember that the word of the Lord that we were just talking about, the word of the Lord that becomes flesh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for my continued, for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So this is the word of the Lord. This is a physical being coming to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. So they are physically walking together. They brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. So I believe this is the second time that Abraham was hanging out with Jesus. Um, remember Jesus mentions in the, old, the New Testament, they're mentioning, you've never really seen Yahweh, but you have seen God. I am representing God. That one verse that we had talked about. John eight fifty six. This is actually Jesus talking. This is one of the things that got Jesus in trouble. John eight fifty six. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. 
And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus had hit himself and went out of the temple. What did Jesus say here that got him upset? Jesus said here, number one, he said he used the name of God as himself, and he's also claiming to be that figure that was with Abraham. That's why they're saying, how could you hang out with Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. So just the New Testament reference coming back to the fact that Abraham's hanging out with Jesus. And so Genesis 18, and Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So here's another one. Um, He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself into the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I will bring morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And so they said, do as you, do as you have said. Okay. So he sees these three figures by an oak tree again. I don't know what it is about Jesus appearing by oak trees. He likes oak trees. If that's really oak, I don't know. I didn't look into the word to see if it's really oak. But they like to appear by oak trees. Um, And at this point, Abraham already knows who it is. Abraham knows, and he goes, and he immediately bows. Now, we don't worship angels. Nobody bows to angels. You only bow to God. And so it even proceeds with Yahweh appeared. So at this point, we know that Abraham recognizes this figure. To the point where he's like, come on in, we'll get you some food, and we'll wash your feet. And so they hang with Abraham for a while, and this goes further here. Um, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. So, so you have Yahweh, Jesus, at this point, the Word, hanging out with these two other guys who we are to a, some kind of Elohim. There's some kind of spiritual beings that are with Jesus. And so when it says, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, these are the two beings that he sent to Sodom in the Sodom and Gomorrah story. Um, But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place, not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death, with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So Abraham is addressing this figure, um, God, as judge of all the earth. And we know from the New Testament who is the judge of all the earth. Jesus. It's actually one of his titles multiple times in the New Testament. Judge of all the earth. So we can see just from that, um, talking about the word figure that shows up to Abraham at this point. Um, Jesus is spending time with Abraham. He's spending time in a spiritual body, physical but spiritual, and he's there. And... uh, there's, there's more of it, but for now, like this actually puts reference to what Jesus is saying then to the, to the Pharisees about, you know, Abraham was looking forward to this. 
you guys should be happy because he was buds with Abraham. Um, Samuel 3.1. And so this is another time where we're going to talk about the word when the word was visiting earth back in the Old Testament, Samuel 3.1. I just kind of clipped the story here. This is the story where Samuel is taken in by Eli. Samuel is spending time to become the um, the spiritual leader in Israel. And uh, so Samuel is there with Eli. He's learning, and this is going on while Samuel is sleeping one night. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of Yahweh was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Just want to put into perspective the word of Yahweh again as a title because it would not make sense if the word of the word of Yahweh was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision like no one was seeing the word of Yahweh if the word was just the word. If it was just this inaudible voice that came to people. Um, so that starts it. Now you get through the story. Samuel goes to sleep. Samuel keeps being woken up and he, he goes to Eli and Eli's like, hey, sounds to me like this is actually the word of, the, of Yahweh talking to you. And so then Samuel addresses it as that. And Yahweh came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And then he goes into some things with Samuel. And then it automatically jumps to Samuel growing up. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of Yahweh. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of Yahweh. So, again, and then the word continues to show up, even then. This is one that, it's, it's just, I put this in because this is a verse that people like to quote and put on inspirational posters. So we'll throw this in here. Um, Jeremiah 1.4, Now the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to me saying, so the word came to him. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord Yahweh, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But Yahweh said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then Yahweh put out his hand and touched my mouth. And Yahweh said to me, if this was just an inaudible voice, how's it touching his mouth? It's just one of those things where this figure is showing up to people. So we can establish that the word of the Lord was physical, talked, touched, interacted, but yet was fully God. People still were bowing in in awe. Again, you're not supposed to bow to angels. Um, Now we're going to talk about another figure in the Old Testament, sometime referred to as the angel of Yahweh. Um, again, when we look at the word angel, just please understand that angel is not necessarily a title for a spiritual being. It is a function done by spiritual beings. Angel simply means messenger. It's what it tra- translates to. Um, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So here we are, part of the Abraham story. 
He's got his kid. He's got him up on the mountain. He believes that God has told him to go up and sacrifice his son on the mountain. And he is a man of faith, so he goes to do so. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He must already know the voice. He doesn't get into any interactions about who are you, who's talking to me. He's just having a conversation now with God. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies." want to come back to that. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Understand the language about possessing the gates of his enemies through Abraham's lineage. What does that make you think of? Who reinforces the gates won't stand. They're talking about Jesus. He's talking about what's going to happen because humans are going to get him. And the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because there's going to be a human incarnation. And because you have obeyed my voice. And then from Abraham's line, we do eventually get Jesus. So now we're talking about this angel of Yahweh figure who's commanding as Yahweh. And Abraham is also recognizing him. Um, we'll talk about some more angel of Yahweh perspectives from the Old Testament here. Um, Jacob has his dream about the steps to heaven. Yahweh is visible at the top. He has a conversation with this, this Yahweh at the top. It's Yahweh in the form. Um, he calls that place Bethel. In Genesis 31, an angel of God said to him in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. So he's referring to the fact that he is the figure that he just saw earlier in the Bible at the top of the steps to heaven. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, return to the land of your kindred. It's also the same figure that Jacob wrestles with. Genesis 32, it says he wrestles with this figure um, all night. And then that's when Jacob's name becomes Israel, which means struggles with God. Um, so there is, this, there is this figure that keeps showing up who is God. Um, Hosea 12 talks about the Jacob story a little bit. 
and refers to it as an angel again. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he, he strove with God, talking about Jacob. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. So again, the godhood of this figure. Um, and then Jacob brings it again to a close, referring to this figure. Um, Genesis 48.1, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Israel is Jacob. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Talking about earlier. Um, speed up into the into that chapter. And Israel stretched out his right hand, laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the hand, head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, talking about this is a God that walked with these forefathers physically. And God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. Can normal angels bless you and redeem you? No. No, he is talking about who, who redeems? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Jacob, even when he's dying, are there two Yahwehs? Sometimes it's Yahweh, sometimes angel of Yahweh, and we've also looked at word of Yahweh. Let's fast forward a little bit to Moses. Um, they've been living in their place, the Hebrews. They have multiplied, all that stuff is going on. Moses gets angry, he kills the dude who was beaten on the other Hebrews, takes off, he's in the desert, he's tending sheep. And now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of the bush. So there's that angel of Yahweh again. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, so, for he was afraid to look at God. So we have two figures here. We have the angel of Yahweh that is in the bush, who has been appearing to all of Moses' forefathers who is hanging out with Moses' forefathers. And then there is also now something here in this fire that Moses is not looking at. He can't. He knows that, that so I think here, I think you have what is normally the invisible Yahweh along with the visible Yahweh. I think you have both at one time here. And we could dig into this and you can get into some language stuff and we can see that, but that is not for today. And so... Um, so Moses goes, he gets his mission from God. This is also where God tells Moses his name. The I am that I am, or the I will that I will do. Um, all of that is wrapped up in there. So, so Yahweh reveals his name. 
Um, and that's what Moses is supposed to say. So that's also why I think there's a good chance that's both father and son are there in the bush. Um, so we'll fast forward, goes to Egypt. He does all the stuff he needs to do in Egypt. And this is God talking to Moses while the Mount Sinai thing is going on. So Mount Sinai, you have God descend on the mountain and everybody freaks. No one wants to go up the mountain. Moses is the only one willing to go face the presence of Yahweh. Um, very, the very Nate God is there. And I believe that that is God the Father because God the Father is like, I'm going to have to hide you because you can't look at me. You look at the Son, but you're not supposed to be looking at the Father or you'll die. And so God is talking to him at this point, the Father. And he says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. For my name is in him. Oh, there is that name again. Um, but other, the other thing you need to notice, again, he, he says, angel, I'm going to send an angel before you. It's not a normal angel, because here we got an angel that can pardon transgressions. It's only one person that can pardon transgressions. So again, when you think angel, don't think a classification of beings. Think function. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemy and an adversary to your adversaries. And so the person that's going to lead them sometimes is flame, sometimes is cloud, sometimes dwelling in the tabernacle. It's Jesus. It's this angel that can pardon sins. And I don't think, again, I think we, we mess up angel. Um, and here's more about Moses. Leviticus 11.45, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And we know that it was this, this spirit being that led them through the wilderness. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.32, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let, he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, which is another title, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it in your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. And so you can read that a couple different ways. Um, and as we're still talking about the Exodus, this has a point. I'll bring it home. You get into Joshua. Um, and the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the lands of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went and among the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove, bef drove out before us all the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that figure that was leading armies through the lands and taking care of all the people. And now, Judges 2, this is our jump as far as we'll go pretty much in the, the Old Testament. 
Now the angel of the Lord went from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Now the angel of the Lord, well, I thought it was a pillar. I thought it was a fire. I thought it was something else. Now it's, they're all inner, it's the same. So there's co-identification. If read in light of each other, we see that the presence and the angel are co-identified. And the name, which the Bible talks to, which Jews still say today, Hashem, is in the angel also, because it refers to the angel and the name is the same. Hashem is used by many Jews, even today, in place of the divine name of Yahweh. So a lot of, the, a lot of modern Jews, they will not say Yahweh. Um, they quit doing that right after they kind of got out of Babylon. They decided that they were no longer going to say the name that God gave them to use back in Exodus 3. And so, so some of the Jews, they don't say that anymore. Some will refer to him as Hashem, which is the name, which is very interesting. Um, again, the name is personified. And then there's instances in the Bible of the name. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger and in thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury and his tongue is like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream that reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of destruction and to place on the jaws of the people a bridle that leads astray. Um, Psalm 20, may Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Some trust in chariots and some horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. The name is a figure. They're comparing the name, they're comparing that figure with physical chariots and horses because the name is what led the, the Hebrews out and conquered the enemies. So when we see the name, that's why, there's just a lot of stuff here. Uh, there's more of the name here in Deuteronomy. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carven images of their gods and destroy the name, their name, out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that, your God, that the Lord your God will choose out of all of your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. To put his name, the name, that, that person. The habitation of that person. And you shall go there. Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you. So we've looked at the name, we've looked at the word, we've looked at the angel of Yahweh. To end, we'll, we'll do angel commander, because this is an interesting one too. Again, talking about the figure that takes them to the promised land and defeats all their enemies. Because where we end up today is we have Jesus in a manger. That's what people think about right now. But what I want to think about is the fact that in order for him to do that, he gave up all of this stuff, the stuff that he did. And so this was Jesus in Joshua 5.13. And when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of Yahweh. And now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does the Lord say to his servant? 
And the commander of Yahweh's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is no ordinary angel. You don't bow to angels. You don't take off your shoes for angels. The angel commander is referenced in Numbers 22, 23, and in 1 Chronicles 21, 16, and it's always referenced as this angel of Yahweh with a drawn sword in his hand, which is the same Jesus we get when he comes back, correct? He's got his sword, he's ready to go to battle. So in the Old Testament, there always seemed to be these two Yahwehs, an invisible Yahweh in heaven, You do have a Sinai appearance in which he does come down into the physical. And when he does, it's scary. You have a physical Yahweh on earth throughout. Uh, Physical doesn't mean human. I want to emphasize that again. Physical doesn't mean he did this. That's not the Old Testament. That's for a later time. Um, this This was an acceptable belief during most of the Second Temple Jews. Uh, in all of their teachings. And it really, um, it didn't become a heresy for the Jews that they would persecute until about 200 CE. And most people believe at that point, you have Christians running around talking about the Trinity and the Christians are starting to use the Old Testament to say, hey, Jesus was around in the Old Testament. You guys had no problem with these two, with a father in heaven and a representation on earth. And that's when they... They stop. It's called the two powers theology. It was a, it was a previous Hebrew thing, and it wasn't a heresy until then. Um, and then, you know, the Jews were going with this. We know that the Jews were going with this because the Pharisees believe this. And an example of this is when the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and Jesus refers to him as the son of man. He refers to him as that figure from Daniel 7. It's in everybody's mind. And the Pharisees go nuts and they tear their clothes off and the blasphemy. And they're angry because Jesus is referring to him as that second, that second being. They knew that. They knew there was a second being. You know, they, they were studied. You know, in Daniel 7, you have the Ancient of Days and you have the Son of Man. And Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me next to the, the Ancient of Days. And uh, that's why they go nuts. That's why the Pharisees have the reaction that they, they have because they, they believed in the two powers idea. To bring this into close, this is why I'm talking about it today. Jesus gave up his personhood, and I don't know what we want to call it, of the Old Testament. I don't want to make a word and be theologically unsound. But he gave up what he did, what he was doing, to become limited in flesh. He's the commander of the angel armies with a drawn sword, and the next thing he has to do is become a helpless creature in a diaper. He goes out from hanging with all the forefathers. I mean, it sounds like you liked Abraham. You've shown up a lot, shown up with Isaac, hanging out with these guys, hanging out with his people in the desert, to having to deal with the insults of the future Pharisees and Sadducees. And again, I don't understand the science of the incarnation, but I can only believe that he lost most of what he had enjoyed earlier and what he was enjoying to do what he had to do. And so this year, when I'm thinking about this during the season, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the fact that, that Jesus was evident and he was doing lots of things. 
and he was living a good existence and he was there for the plan, but he knew that there's going to be this blip that he has to join in and he has to become human. And it just, it just makes me super thankful. When I look back at all, the, all of these things that he did in the Old Testament, I look at where he shows up, and I just, uh, that he had to do that. And just leaves me thankful. And that's, that's what I'm thankful for during this Christmas season. Um, that he'd do that. He didn't have to do it, but he had to do it. So... So that's where I wanted to be today. I just wanted to show that there are people that, that try to trounce the Trinity, say that it's not an Old Testament thing, but it's, it's a very much an Old Testament thing. We could spend time in the future on the Holy Spirit um, and what he's doing in the Old Testament. He doesn't show up as often as Jesus, and he's not referenced as much as Jesus and Yahweh. And by Yahweh, I'm just talking the Father. Um, but, but he is. So that Trinitarian stuff is there. That's one of, the, one of the things people will do to try to dismantle New Testament belief. They also try to say that Jesus never thought he was a God. And that was later Christians that tried to claim he was God. If you know your Old Testament and you're looking at what Jesus is saying in the Gospels, even before you get to what Paul has to say, Jesus has made it clear. And, uh, yeah, so... Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just come to you today, and we're thankful for what you did. We don't have to understand it completely, how it all worked, how you operated. But we do understand what it did for us, and we're extremely grateful. And we're very, very thankful for that gift. During this season, when we reflect on you, and where we think about you in that infant form, I just want to thank you for what you gave up. And I want to thank you for what you did before you took that form also. It's just great to see that you, you wanted to hang with your family even then. Or that this is what it was about. You loved your people. You protected your people. You guarded your people. You lowered yourself and then you died for your people to be with family. So Jesus, we just thank you that you are a family man. We just thank you for that. And we as a congregation are eternally grateful to you. So we thank you. I just ask that you would be with us as, as many of us go into a season of family and spending time with family. And for those of us that cannot spend time with family and will not have those opportunities, Lord, I just ask that you would be their family. That you would see them through that. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything. All things. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.